Howdy, folks. This is professional rodeo announcer Joe Coulter, and I want to be the first to welcome you to Slave the Cowboy. But before we get started, I want to ask you one question. What is a cowboy? Well, a cowboy is about character, honesty, respect, integrity, strength, and truth. And you know when you scratch all that in the dirt, you're going to spell out the word Christ. And that, in its simplest form, is what being a true cowboy is all about. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and get ready to learn how to ride for the Lord. And may God save the cowboy. Maybe some of your older cowboys can, can vouch for this. Um, I didn't know I would get so... I'm kind of getting emotional in my old age. I didn't know that mid-twenties would do that. But uh, this, <laughs> this absolutely brought tears to my eyes yesterday. So email that I got. I saw the Facebook page for Save the Cowboy about two months ago. I've always believed in the Lord, and I've felt Him in my life a few times, but I never felt like I understood the Bible. I've been to many different churches in many different sections. Catholic, Methodist, Lutheran, Baptist. Some were strict, and some were more laid back, but none of them felt right. The day that I found Save the Cowboys Facebook page, the first post was a link to one of your sermons. I watched it and immediately felt at home. I found the podcasts and downloaded them all. I've always been old-fashioned, as my friends put it. I'm 24 years old. She, she's the same age as I am. I'm 24 years old, but I still believe in the honor system. I felt pretty outdated compared to people out here my age. She said, the mission statement of Save the Cowboy really hit home for me because it's exactly how I live. Wednesday after the 4th of July, so that wasn't very long ago, Wednesday after the 4th of July, my grandfather was in a very bad car accident. My grandfather raised me, and he was one of the best men I've ever known. He was just a blue-collar man, and he was a mechanic his whole life, but he always took care of us. That accident left him paralyzed from the chest down. That night, I couldn't sleep, so I listened to your sermons all night long. A little over a week later, my grandfather died very suddenly. I felt like my world had imploded, like someone had just ripped my world apart. The night he died, a couple of my cousins had come over. I told them about Save the Cowboy because they're good old country boys. And they told me that something that I will never forget. They told me that now that I had started listening to your sermons and reading my Bible, that I would start seeing Jesus move in my life in amazing ways. And that maybe I had found your sermons before all of this so I could help my, the rest of my family seek out Jesus and help bring them closer to Him. And doggone it if they weren't right. I have noticed many times where people say or do things and I think to myself, okay, Jesus, I get it now. I just wanted to share this with you. I'm from Erie, Pennsylvania, and I wish y'all were closer or I lived closer, but for now, I will keep listening to your podcast and following you online. So thank you again, Layla Wickles. That's an amazing testimony. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, I just thank you for your message that you're going to speak today. God, just close my mouth and let the Holy Spirit speak through me. God, I thank you for uh, Layla and her dedication. And, and Lord, there's thousands more just like her out there that are needing you. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to even meet in a barn and, and just really get down and, and worship you like the first church did. Not in a fancy cathedral or anything like that, but in the dust and, and amongst the flies. God, there is no place that you will not go. God, I thank you once again, and I ask a blessing on each and every one of these people here today. In your name I pray. Amen. I have something that surely reminded me. I, I don't think he's here today. But I have the uh, super duper, not pooper scooper, I have the super duper uh, 
Big time bucking horse futurity, arena pass. This is the all-access pass that uh, Trevor gave me for doing the, uh, the prayer at the bucking horse futurity uh, Thursday and Friday night. And that got me to thinking that whenever I was uh, a, a lot younger, you know, like last year, well, maybe it was a little before that, but anyway, I was, uh, I was living down in Texas, and has anybody ever heard of Bad Company Rodeo? They were uh, Mac Altizer stuff. I mean, uh, I don't think they're as big as they used to be, but at one time they were the stock contractor of the year for PRCA many times over. They're from Sonora, Texas, just south of us. And um, I worked for Mac Altizer and Bad Company for, for a summer. And um, it, it was so cool because I got to, uh, they gave me this red shirt that I buttoned all the way up, and it had like this Bad Company logo, which is like this, uh, like this uh, cow skull with these turned down horns, says Bad Company under there. And, and so whenever I put that Bad Company shirt on, I could go wherever I wanted. It was awesome. It was like an all-access master skeleton key. I could go in the arena. I could go behind the chutes. I mean, I remember one time Mac walked up to me in Del Rio, Texas, and handed me Party Animal. And Party Animal was a Bramer bull about this big that would buck, but he was also just as gentle as a dog. And I led uh, Tough Hedeman's son when he was only about this big. I led Tough Hedeman's son around on Party Animal. And I thought that was so cool because, you know, I'm sitting there on the bucking chutes putting flanks on horses, and, you know, there's Ty Murray asking me to hold something, and I'm, you know, and I'm not a big uh, uh, buckle bunny or anything like that, but it was cool just being able to sit there next to these guys and just visit with them. I remember uh, I didn't know what was going on, and it was at the same rodeo in Del Rio, Texas, that um, they told me, they said, we're going to put a bull in here in this little chute, and when the announcer starts his little deal... We're going to turn him out, and he's going to walk around, you know, shut the gate whenever he goes out, and then whenever he's done, open the gate back up, and the bull will come out. I was like, well, this must be a trained bull or something. And the guy that had got me the job, uh, his name was Junior, and Junior was sitting there, and he, had, he put that bull in there, and he was just sitting there patting that bull on the, you know, kind of on the back and everything. And he goes, do you know who, what bull this is? And I said, no. And he goes, oh, wait, turn him out, turn him out. And so I turned him out, and the announcer did his deal, you know, just sends chills up your back and everything. And then he, when it was over... Junior said, open the gate. So I opened the gate, and sure enough, here comes that bull, and he walks right in, and he goes, do you know who that bull is? And I said, no. He said, we don't announce it much, but that's the bull that killed Lane Frost. So it was amazing to be able to work for Bad Company, just to, to be around some of the history makers and stuff like that in the sport of rodeo. And um, I remember I was working the Pecos Rodeo one year, and you know, there's lots of places that claim to be, and Pecos is one of them. I'm not going to get into it, because I really don't think it matters any. But Pecos is claimed to fame as home of the world's first rodeo. And so um, it was pretty neat uh, getting to put the bad company shirt on and, and walk in there through the contestants' entrance. Man, you are somebody whenever you get to go through the contestants' entrance. You know, I got to know we got some bull riders here that, you know, they may not think it's any big deal. But to those of us who spent our lives in the stands, getting to go behind the scenes, getting to go behind the shoots and hang out with these guys, man, it's a big deal. And so, um, anyway, we got over there and I had my duties to do. You know, I'd scrape the dirt out so that the gates would swing free and we'd line the horses, the bareback horses up in the back and uh, do all of this other stuff and blah, blah, blah. And we had about an hour before the rodeo went. And I walked over there and we had our bad company trailer. That was where the cool people hang out. 
And I got to, I got to turn this, what do you call it, egg carton crate, whatever you call it. I sat it down and I was sitting there with my red bad company shirt on looking cool as, I mean, it was just dripping off of me. It wasn't sweat, it was coolness. And I was sitting there and everything and this cowboy walks up and he said, anybody sitting here? I said, no, it was a five-gallon bucket, you know, it wasn't a throne or nothing. And I didn't even look up and he sits it down and he goes, man, it's hot today. And I looked up and it was Monty Hawkeye Henson. Now I'm really showing my age. And I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, he was one of the best saddle bronc riders ever, you know. He was the one that made famous because he, he wouldn't get off on the pickup riders. He'd just pop up and land on his feet and walk off and everything. I tried that a couple of times. It didn't work as good for me as it did him. But, you know, I, I got to sit right beside Monty Hawkeye Henson. I had my shirt on. I was cool. I got to go through the contestants' entrance. I got to be behind the chutes with all these famous rodeo stars. I got to sit there and, and talk with the rodeo clowns. With, you know, it, it's something to sit there and talk with Leon Coffey and, and uh, Mark the Shark and, and all of these other guys. Um, it, it was fantastic. And it was also one of the first times that during the, uh, during the bareback and saddle bronc, one of my jobs was to, whenever the pickup riders took the flank cinches off, they'd just fall in the arena. And so my job was to run out there and get them. That is a very important job. Without that, the rodeo cannot go on because there's not enough flank cinches to go around. So I was pretty proud of my job. Some people might look down on it. But I was out there one day and I was gathering up my flank cinches and everything. And if you've never been to Pecos, Texas Rodeo Arena, it's about the size of New England. You have to hoof it across there. And if you've never tried to run gracefully in a plowed up arena, you look like a chicken with one leg. You know, you just kind of trying to get these deals and get out of the way before the next bronc comes and everything. And so I've got my bad company shirt on. I got coolness just dripping off of me. I got a flank sense thrown over my shoulder. And I'm walking down and there's the box seats. I mean, people are right there. And all of a sudden I hear, Sir? And I turn and look, and there's like this eight-year-old, maybe seven-year-old little boy, and his eyes are this big around. And he said, can I have your autograph? <laughs> you have a choice right then. I wanted to say, what? And his dad, knowingly, his dad knew that all I was in that arena for was to pick up flank cinches. I mean, that was it. But his dad kind of smiled, and he winked at me, and I said, sure, son, I took that... Deal friend is the first time I ever gave my autograph. And I don't care who you are, you have practiced it. I know you have. Just in case. Guys, probably more than gir girls, y'all are writing the last name of your boyfriend that you want to marry. Oh, I want my name to be Riley so-and-so or something. That's what you get for being my daughter. And you're not going to marry a so-and-so, just so you know. But guys, you know, we get that pen and we're like... <laughs> Sign that autograph, and boy, that's what I did, man. I, I, I nearly tore the page with that felt tip marker. I was like, cowboy on, Kevin Weatherby. Yeah, I felt important whenever I walked out of there. If you've never been asked for your autograph, come talk to me. I'll ask you just so you can get to experience one time. But the cool part about it was whenever I got to go through the contestants' entrance, there was no lines. You, you had, you know, whenever you walked up, they were like, what's your name? Because there's like these security guards and they're like, oh, Kevin Weatherby, super cool guy. You're, you're on the list. Go ahead. All access pass, you get the little thing. Well, of course, the, the red shirt was ours. But, you know, you may, you know, when me and Jared went to the, uh, 
the uh, championship bronc riding down there. Since he was a contestant, we got to wear these all-access passes where you just walk through that place like a boss, like you own it. But there's, there's two gates. There's the main entrance where everybody has to go, and then there's a contestant entrance around back. The Bible also talks about two gates. In Matthew 7, 13 and 14... Jesus himself says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there is many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Which gate in life are you going through? Which gate in life have you gone through? The wide main entrance gate is where most of this world resides. Life attempts to lure you in through the front gate. They say, come see what life is all about. Just pay this entry fee and you can be cool. You can sit in the stands where it is safe and you can experience life. It is a wide area full of people mingling around. And maybe you like that. I don't. But, you know, there's all sorts of concession stands trying to hawk their wares and buy this cap. You can buy your own bad company cap and be kind of cool. Instead of doing the real thing, going around back to the contestants' entrance. Bright lights, vendors, and posters tell you that you can fulfill your dreams by paying a low entry fee and coming in to watch most people in life go through life sitting in the general admission and box seating and experience a life without purpose, meaning happiness or fulfillment. The people in the stands are an audience of dead dreamers. The crowd is not made up of certain economic or ethnic groups. It cannot be categorized by education or culture. The crowd is our neighbors, our teachers, our physicians, road workers, fast food employees. The crowd has businessmen and busy housewives mingling together are the seamstresses and the surfers. The self-help guru sits in the same box as the talk show host. It doesn't... Oh, speaking of talk show hosts. Is there anybody in here... Well, we posed the question to one of Riley's friends, and I will not say their names... But somebody said something about okra. And he said, well, what is that? And they're like, you don't know what okra is? And they're like, no, man, fried okra is one of the greatest inventions God ever gave us. It should be a spiritual gift. Fried okra rocks. And they said, you've never heard of fried okra? And she's like, no, I'm going to call a friend and see if she's heard. So she calls, a, Riley's friend calls another friend and says, do you know what okra is? And she goes, well, of course, it's that black lady that has the talk show. <laughs> that was hilarious. But the athletes and the auto mechanics sit side by side in the audience of dead dreams. The loud and obnoxious sitting behind the quiet and the reserved. The life of the party and the loneliest of the lonely share the same row. There are drunks and the pious drug addicts sitting right next to health nuts. They are all here gathered together. And right in the middle are the cowboys and cowgirls sitting next to the church attenders. Think about that. No one is exempt. The audience wants to have the courage to ride or rope, but they're too afraid. The audience longs for the ability to overcome their fears and be winners, but they have resigned themselves to a dead life where everyone wins by losing. The spectators long to travel the open road and see new country like the cowboys do, but like beasts of burden, they line up for the slaughter. The dead audience trods along in their weariness on their way to an eight-to-five job longing for a life that they wish they had. The crowd dreams of wearing the buckle of a champion but refuse the belt of truth on which it goes. Do you ever feel like you want to participate or help behind the scenes but a low self-esteem glues you to your seat? 
you ever feel like you want to see behind the curtain and have a chance to belong and to have stories that you've only dared dream of? Do you ever feel like you want to inspire and show a young child what it can be like to those who dare to dream big? Do you find yourself wanting that? The narrow contested entrance is around back. It's a narrow trail and it's often marked by a little sign. Not a big flashy sign with arrows going everywhere. There's no vendors around. It just says contestant entrance this way. And usually it's a longer drive down a dirt road, back behind everything. You must have certain credentials whenever you pull up because there's a security guard standing right there. And you know what? I don't know where they find these guys, but you know they, they have this air of authority which they really don't have. I mean, you could just drive straight through and probably nothing would happen, but something about it keeps you from doing that. The security guard has no authority beyond just checking credentials and checking you off the list. A lot of times they're puffed up with pride and long to be listened to, and they'll scrutinize like some rookie police officer or something. Well, let's see here. Hmm. Hmm. Heart starts getting nervous. Are they going to let me in? Are they going to let me in? He will try to tell you and tell you that you can't get in or don't belong, but do not listen to him. He cannot keep you out. How do we get on this list? How do we get there where we can go to the back boldly and stroll through like a boss? How do we do that? You must turn your back on the world and be all in for the bad company. Everybody heard that song, Bad company till the day I die. That's the way you need to be. You've got to be all in. There is no part-time there's no part-time workers in this bad company. And I mean bad in the opposite sense of the word. I'm talking about those select, those few, those tough enough to get behind the chutes, those tough enough to ride and rope, those tough enough to head and heel, those tough enough to open their mouths and announce. Do you have what it takes? You've got to be all in. You will have to leave friends and family that beckon you from the stands. Come on, come sit with us. We'll have a good time. No, I'm going in there. No, that's stupid. Don't go in there. Who do you think you are? I want to live life. No, let's stand up here and party and make fun of people and, and do what we do in, from the safety and security of this coffin that we reside in. They will jeer you, sneer you, and cuss you from the bleachers. When I worked for Bad Company, that wasn't the first time, though, that I had ever got to work that arena. One time they always pick two guys, usually one skinny guy and then one big guy. I won't tell you which one I was. I got to be the untie guy in the calf roping. That is a thankless job, and if you've ever had to do it, you do not want to do it again. Because whenever you stand there, there's always the guys in the stands that's been drinking, and it's always real fun to poke fun at the untie guys. And so I got to be an untie guy, and of course I didn't have a bad company shirt. You know, they just picked two kids and everything, and you know, the cowboy has to go down there and help sometimes and everything. And I don't know what it was that year. They were, they were calf roping 2,000-pound Bramer Bulls. At least that's what it seemed like. You think those calves are only this little sweet calf that's been nursing on its mama? Oh, bull crap, those things are man-eaters about this big. When you get out there, they will kick you from your head to your head and back again before you get them untied. And whatever you do, do not take 
the pigging string off before you take the other rope off because then you got to flank it again. I learned that the hard way. And so whenever I, you know, you're running out there, and of course, me and being a little skinny kid, you know, running out there like a one-legged chicken and everything, and then you do this and you get kicked 42 times and everything. And you always got that one drunk in the stands that likes to make fun of you. And he happened to be sitting right where we were supposed to do, you know, where we were supposed to go. And you kneel down because there's an untie stance too. You've got to sit down like this, and you've got to pay attention, and then you've got to watch the judge to make sure you don't untie it before he says go. And this guy was like, okay, boys, get ready. Run, run, Forrest, you know, and all that stuff. And he was making me madder and all get out. Well, I got down there one time, and I got a lot of caca on my hand. And I'd been kind of wiping it off on my boot or in the arena, but I thought that I might give something, a little something back. He's doing it again. He, th- he knows that I told him this joke before we got out here. He thinks it's funny. He's already laughing. And so I had a bunch of, uh, I had a bunch of calf cock on my hand. And so I went jogging back, and he was like, Come on, Forrest! And you know, he's turning to his buddies. And I was like, Dude, you are so funny. And I hit him on the arm and just went, Bleh! And just wiped all that calf cocker right down his arms. He didn't think it was as funny as I did. The only saving grace is his buddies thought it was real funny. But you have to leave your family and your friends that refuse to come out of the stands. This is between you. This is about you and the life that you want to live. This is about a decision that you have to make. Nobody's going to make it for you. Your life is marked by the transformation of this new life. The old you is dead and you now have a new life. You now have new friends. You now have new family. The things you used to think of as fun are now seen as as what they actually were. Ropes that tied you down and kept you from soaring on wings like eagles. When the Bible tells us, do not do this and do not do that, it has nothing to do with fun. Those things destroy you. God is trying to keep you safe. He's not trying to keep you from having fun. As a matter of fact, He said, I have come that they may have the joy in me, the peace in me. He wants you to be happy, not just for a little while. He wants you to be forever. But how often do we trade that forever happiness for sitting in the stands? The storms of life still happen. I was talking to Phil this morning. He said, we was in Cheyenne last week. I said, how was it? And he said, it rained every single day. You know, even when you work in the arena, even when you're behind the chutes, even when you're riding, the storms of life still come. But luckily this time you have a slicker and they do not drag you down. You do not have to be part of that dead audience. In Revelations 3, 1 through 3, Jesus says this, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Like I said, none of us are immune. You either go through the main, the wide road of destruction, or you choose to go through the narrow gate. And both of those sates are are sealed forever. Get out of the stands. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. God is speaking to some people here today. There is no condemnation, only truth. Hey, before you shut that knob off, let me tell you something. If you like today's program, we can all give a great big thank you to Western LLC. They're a turnkey development for oil and gas and aviation industries. You can get on the internet and visit them at westernllc.com. Also, Jim and Kelly Gerald at Integrity Auto Repair and Rod Denning at Tumbleweed Hay and Hauling. All of them out of Kiowa, Colorado. 
You ought to know by now that I ain't going to jerk your leg. (laughs) Okay, maybe every once in a while, but this one ain't no story. This here's the truth. We need your help to stay on the air and keep this gospel being spread to cowboys and cowgirls like you. It ain't easy to ask, I promise you. We'll even tell all your friends that are listening that it's you that are bringing it to them. Help us out by going to SaveTheCowboy.com and contacting me. Call me and let's get this thing set up. Don't leave it to somebody else.